Hello and welcome to the Owl Hoot podcast with me, Caroline Norbury. In each episode, I chat to amazing guests with way more expertise than me on topics covering the environment and sustainability. You'll get to hear the facts on climate change, biodiversity loss and pollution, as well as discover the fabulous actions that individuals and organisations are doing to mitigate and adapt to our changing world. I don't know about you, but I find it reassuring and hopeful that there are so many capable people out there doing great things for our planet, as well as inspiring me to get on and do my bit too. So without further ado, let's get on with this week's episode. It is my absolute delight to have Jen Gale on the podcast. Jen is not only a fellow podcaster with the hugely successful Sustainablish podcast, but is a blogger, writer and speaker on how to live sustainably imperfectly. Once a vet, she took on the challenge of buying nothing new for a year and began blogging about her experiences. She found her new place in the world and went on to found Sustainablish and set up the Knackered Mums Eco Club. A space for those who are eco-curious and want to do their bit in making sure we don't mess up our planet for our future generations. Jen has also written two highly accessible books to help you on your way, titled The Sustainablish Living Guide and The Sustainablish Guide to Green Parenting. Welcome, Jen, to the podcast. Thank you. What an intro. That was awesome. I might have to steal that. (laughs) You're welcome. Take it. That's fine. (laughs) So I'm going to start by asking you a little bit of a backstory, find out how how a vet became to be a sustainable living guru. How did that all come about? Yeah, so um, start of it all really was that that year buying nothing new. So that was 2012, 13. And I kind of, you know, I thought we were pretty green, like we did our recycling. That was yeah. kind of, you know, I thought that was peak, peak green. I thought, well, what else can, can we do? Do you know, like, surely we can't make a difference. And then read an article in a magazine. A lady was doing something called a uh, secondhand safari, which was a year buying nothing new. And I thought, well, that sounds quite fun. What a fun challenge. I just discovered um, like free cycle and places like that. So I was like, oh, that sounds quite interesting. We should give it a go. And um, it was quite naive. Well, not quite naive, very naive. Do you know, it was just this, that sounds like it'd be quite fun and I hadn't I think I was like a lot of people I hadn't joined the dots at all between sort of consumption and climate and you know didn't it's kind of vaguely knew that fast fashion existed but didn't really know what it was or quite really what went on I you know it was very much a kind of I don't think consciously but subconsciously sort of looking away from a lot of these issues thinking they're not not really mine to deal with you know some someone else will come along and and fix those and surely the government needs to be acting and it can't really be that bad because otherwise we wouldn't be allowed to do it and all those kinds of things and then just opened this whole can of worms and was like oh, oh it is that bad and oh god and then you know you can't once you've once you've learned that stuff you can't sort of unlearn it which is sometimes I wish maybe I could you can't kind of unlearn it and just kind of go back to, to how things were. Yeah absolutely when you did that uh, make do and mend you were you ready for the fact that actually that was going to be pivotal in that you were going to sort of end a chapter of your life with being a vet and then move completely embrace sustainable living? No, I don't think I, I, I had very, I mean, this was, like I said, it was sort of 2012. And I think, um, you know, blogs were becoming a thing. And 
you know so there's always that the, the dream isn't there I'm going to start a blog and and it's gonna you know it's gonna be the thing but I just sort of thought I don't I don't really know what to expect but I'm gonna say yes to everything or to as many things as possible that kind of come up during the year so so yeah and I, you know it was you know it did get some traction and it got I think I I I mean I was I, I look back now and I think god I was how was I so brave I just tweeted like BBC Wiltshire, our local radio, you know, BBC radio station. Went, oh, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to? Do you want to speak to me about it? And they were like, Yeah, okay. So I went in there and mm-hmm. spoke to them, and then went back in to sort of update them during the year. And then somebody heard me on that, and she was a journalist, and um, you know, and she wrote a piece for the Sun, and you know, it kind of, yeah, it was exciting. You know, I had no expectation. Well, it was, you know, you do have this kind of like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing? But um, yeah, it was, it was a real roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And how was it actually? Because obviously you have this idea of what it will be like not to buy anything new, but what was it really like? Was most of it fine and just some yeah. of it difficult? I, I thought it would be really difficult. Like we weren't, some people grow up with that um, thrift shop mentality or that, you know, that's their, that's that's how they shop. And, and I sort of was, um, you know, my parents were kind of full on baby boomers, you know, um, so so it just wasn't something like my dad said to me, like, why do you go into charity shops? Like, he just didn't get it. And so it was a real different way of, of shopping, I guess, for us. Like, previously, we just not really thought, this sounds really awful, but we'd not really thought about what we were buying other than where can we get it cheapest? Might there be a sale on? All that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was, and I, and I thought it was going to be really difficult, but actually probably the buying nothing new bit was the easiest bit and it was the I randomly ridiculously decided I was going to blog every day for the year and that that was the hardest (laughs) bit in all honesty (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean you make uh I think that whole you've touched upon it twice now about you you kind of think you're doing the right thing and somebody else is going to deal with the really big stuff Mm. and then you as you say you open a can of worms and then you realize it's everything isn't it Mm. it becomes everything Uh, oh I know you mentioned in, in both your books about realizing how complex everything is. It's not, yeah. you know, when you do go to buy something, it's not as easy going, oh, I just need to make that choice and that will yeah. be sustainable. What, yeah. does, what does sustainable living mean to you now that you've come this far? I think for me, it's about trying to make better decisions more of the time, trying to make informed decisions. Um, and that's I, I'm aware that that sounds really worthy and really and I'm not in any way, shape or form perfect. I think there's something around kind of in actually recognizing the power that we have as individuals and as families and things to to create change and and doing what we can when we can to sort of move that forwards. There's a brilliant um, quote, I think it's in both books by Anna Lappe that says, every time we spend money we cast a vote for the kind of world we want and that was a real like proper light bulb like whoa moment for me that realization that you know we 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 get to choose who we give our money to we get to choose whether we repair something or upgrade something or do you know like I think a lot of our choices a lot of the time are very unconscious they're very unthought out and that's not a malicious thing that's just we're busy we're time poor we don't have the headspace or the energy and sometimes not the budget and so we make a lot of uh choices out of out of these habits that we've sort of fallen into and actually if we give ourselves the time to stop and to think actually 
what is important to me? What are my values? Are these choices that I'm making aligning with them? And, and I'm not saying, like I said, that all my choices align with my values. Um, there's an awful lot of compromise that goes on, but recognizing that some things can quite easily be more in line with your values. And because I kind of like to think that, it, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, you know, 99.9% .9 of the population would say, yes, I want a better world. Yes, I want a fairer world. Yes, I want a cleaner world. But actually a lot of the time, the, the things that we're doing day to day aren't in line with that. And that's because we live in a consumer society, a disposable society, a society that convenience and money is king. And so it's sometimes very difficult to make decisions, different decisions. That wasn't a very succinct answer, was it? No, absolutely. <laughs> no, the, the, I'm getting them, you know, the message is, is that we, we all do this, we all get on with this stuff. We're within a structure, aren't we, of society? Mm. And we're getting on with it, thinking it's all okay until somebody goes, well, actually that, that purchasing choice or doing that is not that helpful. Uh, somebody I spoke to on the podcast a couple of weeks ago mentioned about getting curious. And I think it's a starting point for lots of avenues mm. within the environment is the minute you start to go, oh, well, actually, you know, this top that I might buy, what's it made of? Who mm. who made it? Where's it from? The minute you start questioning those things, that's when you enter the rabbit hole. <laughs> it is a massive rabbit hole. And it's so countercultural to question these things, isn't it? Because we are bombarded with, you know, depending on where you live and how you travel and things like thousands of messages a day telling us that we will be more popular, more successful, prettier, uh, look younger, all these messages if we buy X, Y and Z. And so actually to to take a step back and to start to question that is, you know, that's very ingrained in us. It's very difficult to do that. Did you find through this process that you uh, naturally bought less or you just bought better or maybe a mix of those two to start off with I went a bit mad and um because I was like oh it's second hand it's fine and so I having not been somebody who really went into the charity shops and being somebody who um you know I'd get really annoyed if you said to someone oh I really like your dress or your trousers oh I got these in the charity shop and they're 50p and I'd be like oh how do you find things and I never can and then I sort of you know, started properly looking um, and, and did start finding things. And so I went from someone who, you know, didn't have any dresses to having like four dresses because, you know, they're less than a fiver. And actually, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't really matter. And excuse me, all those kinds of things. But so I probably went a bit overboard to start with. And then that sort of slow dawning realisation that actually, you know, too much stuff is still too much stuff. And I think it, we, we randomly started the year in September and then in the January, it was our local um, wildlife trust were doing a, a zero waste sort of push. They're doing this eight week slim your bin challenge. And, and again, that was a real kind of, I just hadn't made the connection between the stuff that we were bringing into our homes and the stuff that was leaving our homes and the fact that pretty much everything we bring in, we've got to deal with it at some point at the end of it. And so whether we, obviously buying it secondhand is a better option, but if it's still going to end up in landfill and we're not going to really use it, then it's not, not really a great choice to make. Yeah, and that's another point that you that I picked up on um, through looking at you and listening to you is that 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 nice phrase that you use there, there is no way. Yeah. The minute you start thinking about, oh, actually, what happens when I do put it in the bin mm. or the recycling or the charity, you know, what is actually happening? Yeah. To the, because it's nice to think, oh, well, somebody else is looking after it. It's all yes. good. <laughs> and and it's, you know, we're so lucky here that we have a, you know, a really great 
well, people, we love to whinge about our recycling systems and our bins and things, don't we, here in the UK? But, you know, we do have a, an infrastructure in place. We do have, you know, well-managed and maintained landfill sites and energy from waste things and all that sort of thing. But, you know, there are, there are communities around the globe where they have no, you know, they're living on rubbish dumps. They're like chucking it all into the, into the rivers. They're, so, you know, for us, we put it in the bin and it goes away and we don't have to think about it anymore, but it's still there and we kind of forget that don't we and the same to a certain extent with the stuff we donate to charity shops we kind of think oh well done me I've done a great thing I've decluttered my house and I've given it to the charity shop and they're going to make some money out of it but if it's dirty or ripped or torn or it's missing bits all we're doing is passing on the the, the guilt and the expense actually to the charity shop of, of putting it in landfill so we've almost I think sometimes used charity shops as this kind of guilt-free way of continuing to overconsume, and especially with things like fast fashion because well, I can give it to the charity shop once I'm done with it it doesn't matter if I only wear it once because I can give it to the charity shop but actually you know the charity shops are getting inundated with this very cheap fast fashion and and often I think there's a stat that only 10 to 30 percent of clothes donated to charity shops in the UK are actually sold on within the UK the rest is bagged up and sold on on this sort of billion dollar textile trade international trade but that actually that's starting to have a real impact on the countries that it's being exported to so it's like it's oh my god your head can kind of I thought I was doing the right thing giving it to the charity yeah. shop and it yeah like you said at the beginning it's so complex isn't it it is and I wonder um because you've set up your knackered mums eco club how is that is that worked in terms of bringing people together that have are trying to do the right thing but mm. they are you know it is complex isn't it does yeah. it have do people come to you because a, they want to know what the right thing is to do but just because it's just so flipping complex yeah and it's overwhelming isn't it it's you know you sort of think you you said didn't you it's everything it's you know once you start to to look you know to to sort of peek through the curtains or whatever I can understand why people just pull the curtains shut again and go no um because it is it's you know it's the food you eat it's how you travel it's and there's all these a lot of fear of judgment there's all these stereotypes that exist and actually if I'm going to be air quote sustainable I'm going to have to do x y and z and and that actually they're they're not my people and I'm not that type of person and all these um kind of reasons why we we might just merrily or not so, you know, slightly guiltily kind of look away again. But yeah, I really wanted the Knackered Mums Eco Club to be like a safe space to come and to start and to, to get it wrong and to be imperfect and to whinge about, you know, the fact that maybe your husband's not on board or your kids are driving you mad or, you know, the fact that, that we're, 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 it's a very real lived experience and we're all making compromises everywhere and doing it imperfectly and that, that that's, that's okay and that we're still making a difference despite all of that and I hope that's it's been going for a year now you know I really I, I I think that's what that's what's that's what's there yeah I think the ish and the imperfect mm. allows people to get on board doesn't it because we're all just just doing our best and there is no perfect way of yeah. living an eco life do, you, do yeah. you get because you've been doing this for a while do you get any backlash from perhaps more ego you know if there is such a thing people that oh no you're still not living and that you know who do aspire to put whatever perfectly green might be do you get any yeah other? I mean I get I, I've had the odd email usually from men actually saying you know sustainable and I had it I think I had it on a like a webinar or something I did somebody saying like it's not enough it's not enough to 
reduce or to do a bit less or to you know we're at the point where we need massive action and we need and I absolutely agree with that but also we can't get people from A to Z in one jump I use the analogy of you know if if I'm sat there in my pajamas eating a bar of chocolate watching telly and someone goes to me you're going to run a marathon tomorrow I'm going no I'm not like absolutely not a chance you're off your head like go away if someone comes to me and they said in six months time or you know we're going to run a, a marathon we're going to do it together you know I'm going to sort out the um the training plan and everything for you so you know exactly what you've got to do and when you've got to do it and you know really we're going to get some buddies along to do it with you and um you know it doesn't matter that you can't even find your trainers because that's going to be the first thing we're going to go and find a pair of trainers together I'm much more likely to go oh yeah actually maybe I can maybe I can run a marathon in six months time so you know like we need yes we need massive action but we also need everyone on board do you know and and we can there's that brilliant quote isn't there I'm sure you've seen it from Anne-Marie Bonneau who's a zero waste chef and she talks about you know we don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly we need millions of people doing it imperfectly and it's exactly the same for every aspect of sustainable living you know if we can get um, millions of people doing maybe five things that's going to be better than 10 people doing 50 things do you know it's it's so that's the the approach I come at it from and my approach is very much about trying to make it accessible inviting maybe even a bit fun do you know yeah. like because it's very dull and worthy and earnest a lot of the time isn't it it's not it's not very aspirational a lot of the time because you are drawing on people you're drawing them in by saying yeah it's all pretty tricky and we'll all go together on this yeah. journey and I think that's a really nice way of going about it and as you quite rightly say we all need to be on board there will be you know organizations governments they also need to do their bit mm. but we can all do bits at different levels and this is as important as the government and the organizational stuff and effectively the more people that are doing it at on an individual basis, they're, they're buying into the whole thing. So when the government comes along and says, right, you now can only drive an electric car, everybody's going, mm. okay, well, I get it. I, I, you know, I, I can see why that might be a good thing. Yeah. And also, you know, these, these people, or, you know, once, once we get, get started and we've made a few changes, you know, it doesn't matter how small they are, then we are maybe, and we've maybe found our tribe of people, we found some like-minded people, we're a bit more empowered to then email our MP and say actually what's going on here with the climate bill or whatever it might be or to tweet I don't know coca-cola and say what, what, what's your plan here with the plastic do you know and and we underestimate how powerful we are how powerful our voices are do you know in in sort of putting that pressure upwards as well and there was a study in um 2017 I think that asked MPs why they weren't taking more action on climate and, and the vast majority of them said it's because they weren't hearing from their constituents that it was a problem. So, you know, one of the, the most impactful things we can do is to engage, you know, we don't need to go around bashing everyone over the head with a big stick, but to try and have these conversations and certainly with our sort of elected representatives, whether that's town, county, uh, national, whatever, like just to be asking the question. So, so what, you know, you've declared a climate emergency. So what's, where's your climate action plan? Like, what are we going to do here? What's, and just to kind of keep that, that pressure on almost yeah and I think that's a really good point about just connecting with those that do have perhaps power in different ways mm, yeah um you talk about earlier about compromise if you live on your own you get to 
perhaps do everything do what you want <laughs> exactly <laughs> when, when you live as, with family it's there is compromise there isn't there as yeah, well as all the definitely. other stuff how have you found that personally and do you get a lot of people resonating with well i want to be really really green yeah and, uh, the rest of my family and, are yeah especially I, I feel really mean saying this it will often be the husbands do you know like because my audience is vastly overwhelmingly female and you know that's the thing I feel like the for some reason the the people or the people certainly that I see taking individual actions and taking responsibility for the changes in the home and things does tend to be the women and I think that's because traditionally we've been the caregivers and the homemakers and the you know and and so even you know despite how far we've we've come in terms of equality we probably are still the ones deciding which loo roll loo cleaner to buy and all that kind of dull stuff aren't we but therein lies a huge amount of power but yeah I mean I mean I'm my husband is is pretty on board my kids are pretty ambivalent they're 12 and 10 you know I was expecting them to be kind of mini Greta's and things but they're just not really that which frustrates me slightly (laughs) but yeah you know we've and a huge amount of compromises so this is like a couple of really stupid examples um crisps like I would quite happily not bother with crisps not you know I, I like one if there's one there I knew I couldn't say no crisps so we get um the big bags the big share bags and sort of dole them out rather than having lots of individual bags everybody's still getting crisp but it's less plastic we oh, we tried for ages with soap because that's the thing you're told like that's the first change easiest change to make soap and shampoo bars and like, I don't think the kids were washing their hands. Like my husband was complaining that his skin felt funny and, you know, my hair felt awful. And so now we get, we buy five litre bottles online and, you know, fill, fill them up ourselves. So again, it's not plastic free. It's not zero waste, but it's less plastic. And it's, it's about, you know, these changes need to be sustainable planetary wise, but also sustainable in that you can live with them. You can do them. The family aren't going to hate you. You know, um, it's not going to cause World War Three every day. That kind of, you know, and you're not going to create a rod for your own back where you end up resenting these changes and feel like you're deprived because no one's going to keep wanting to do that. Yeah, and it's about choosing battles that are yes, worth. choose your battles definitely <laughs> <laughs> taking on because you've all got to live as you're a family that wants to be together. You've got to yeah. live nicely together. <laughs> yeah, ideally, yeah is there something that you've got like a bug bed you're like oh my goodness if I see another one of those in my house <laughs> um or are you, do you are you pretty much take it in your stride okay we could we can make that change we can't make that change. um you know the kids still want the well certainly my youngest still wants the sort of plastic tat and things like that so trying to sort of steer him away from that my biggest argument I think at the moment is um trying to persuade the kids to to walk or cycle shorter journeys you know we've we've again this is one of my imperfections we're a two-car family one's electric and one's a hybrid but I still try and explain to the kids like they're still contributing to the traffic that's on the road and the congestion and all that kind of thing and that actually you know if we're doing if we've got short journeys like into town or you know that actually we should bike or scoot or walk them oh my god you would think I was asking them to go down the mines you know it's like it's it's really and sometimes we just need to get out the door and we need to get stuff done or it's raining or whatever and sometimes and sometimes I just can't face it you know so so that's an ongoing um debate shall we say <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> ongoing dialogue that you hope yes, at some dialogue, point will like yeah. we'll, uh, yeah. go your way <laughs> yeah I keep chipping away keep chipping away <laughs> absolutely with with children obviously and you've written a whole book about green parenting 
there's a lot of extra stuff isn't there mm. is it just the same in terms of have you found managing green parenting as it is for the rest of your life or are there particular areas where you think oh this is a whole new ball game I think the difficulty comes when you're pulled in so many different directions because you maybe you've done a bit of research and you think this is this is the change or this is what actually I'd really like to do or we'd really like to do but then I think especially as the kids get older as well they they don't want to be the odd one out you don't want them to be the odd one out I mean kids parties are just a minefield aren't they like you know what 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 present do you take mm. and and you you know I mean mine are, are pre-teens at the moment but I can imagine that that only gets harder as they get you know at what point do you, are you allowed to stop or, or do you stop imposing your own values and ethics and choices on them and do you let let them you know then that's part of growing up isn't it they've got to be able to come up with their own value system but if it's not the same as mine I'm gonna be really cross <laughs> yes it'll bring a whole new uh, interest to uh, the rebellious side yes if, if yeah, either yeah, of them yeah. do hopefully neither of them will rebel yes. <laughs> yeah but, uh, well, you've been there haven't you yours are, yours are grown up now yeah so. I have to say I, I was quite lucky I don't remember them rebelling too much about anything in particular mm. Maybe I've just blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it can go either one, either way, can't it? Yes, yeah. Uh, what What do you think is uh, one of the hardest things for people to embrace, uh, is, or, or is it just increments? Is start with you know? Do you recommend starting is, one thing? Or... A lot of it is habit change, isn't it? I said you know we fall into these into these habits, and changing habits is hard changing you know deciding to to get a bit fitter is hard deciding to give up smoking is hard deciding to eat a bit more healthily is hard so that's a lot of it and that you know sort of it will be you know remembering to take your water bottle with you or remembering to I think we're so used to being able to solve an issue by buying something and actually the best thing or the most sustainable thing often to do is to not buy something and that feels really weird doesn't it mm. so yeah I think you know it's it's about just making a start maybe picking one area and just you know I talk in the Anakadons Eco Club all the time with this idea of sort of chunking it down so maybe you want to look at plastic because that's a really great you know slightly tongue-in-cheek gateway drug because we can see it can't we it's very visible very frustrating and, and we can see an impact maybe we want to start on plastic but then we can narrow that down to plastic in the bathroom and actually I'm going to go shampoo and actually um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to see if any of my friends recommend a shampoo bar or if they don't, what, what, you know, or I'll have a look in the refill shop and see if there's a, a refill shampoo and all that sort of thing. And so it's just trying to break it down the whole time so that literally you've got something you can do in like 10 minutes so that you feel like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a step closer. I'm a step closer. We're not you're not having to make these massive leaps. You're just trying to make it as every hurdle as low as you can, really. Yeah. And because there are so many places in which you can start. Yeah. How have you found managing, maybe you've not experienced eco-anxiety, do you ever think, oh my goodness, this has just yeah. all got a little bit, those facts yeah. are just now, I wish they'd go away. Does, does it ever make you think, oh, this is too much? Or because time. you're- All the right. time. <laughs> <laughs> and my way of dealing with it is to almost not engage. Like I, when the, the latest IPCC report came out, didn't it? Like, mm. I'll admit it I haven't read it like I've, you know I've read the headline things but we kind of knew what it was going to say right like we, we and it doesn't really change anything that I'm doing so I just you know and like we've watched um you know there was the the David Attenborough had a couple of documentaries out last year didn't he and yeah 
they're heart-wrenching and they're overwhelming and I think that I mean brilliant that this stuff's being broadcast on on you know prime time terrestrial channels and things like that but they kind of build you up into this sort of ball of anxiety and then just leave you there and you're like oh what do I do with this now um so you know I, I know it's a cliche and I know it's you know but action is the antidote for, for me to, to eco-anxiety so or you know I think I think we're not very good at talking about it either yet are we I think probably lots of us are probably feeling some degree or other of eco-anxiety but it's not like COVID is it it's not like oh god actually uh figures are going up are you feeling a bit nervous I'm feeling a bit anxious about this or what do you think about the vaccine or what do you you know we're, we're not we're not at a stage although awareness I think is kind of as high as it's ever been we're not we're not at that stage where they're having those conversations so you know maybe that's part of our role as well is that we we had a whole month in the Macadam Club uh, talking climate about trying to um, support each other to, to be a bit braver to post that post mm. on social media or to to have that conversation when it came up about x y or z because we need to kind of you know that that brings it into the mainstream consciousness more and I think it helps people to join those dots between this is happening this is what I can do about it because I think there's a big disconnect between like this is happening and maybe we're sort of prepping ourselves a bit there's nothing I can do about it or you know this you know but I'm still buying fast fashion and I'm still mm. you know flying three times a year and I'm still actually hold on a minute there's some quite easy things you could do that would really but there, there does seem to be that disconnect yeah I wondered about that because you rightly say the whole COVID it's there was a time and maybe there still is where you'd have a conversation with someone and it, the COVID would come up at some point yeah yeah <laughs> but I wonder whether it's just because even though uh, it appears to me but maybe it's just my uh, new filter that I, I spot all this Mm. on the news the you know they obviously can't get away from the flyers and the floods that are going around the world mm. but they mm. are still around the world they're not yes. actually on our doorstep here yet even though we're getting you know obviously getting some changes we're not getting quite as hideous as maybe some other places mm. are mm. <laughs> not yes. i'm willing that to happen to wake us all up but as you say yeah. it's just sharing that but i think even when there were these so there were some flash floods in london mm. weren't there and there was all those yeah. images of the the tube flooding and you know cars floating away I personally didn't feel like there was a particularly strong climate narrative that came with that, that there wasn't a, this, this is climate change, guys. This is, this is the reality. We are going to have more of this mm. unless X, Y, or actually, you know, this is probably locked in. If we don't want worse than this, we need yeah. to do this. That, and the mainstream media still, whether they're not brave enough, whether it's not the right people there, I don't know. They still seem to be, quite reluctant or deliberately reluctant I don't know to make that that link connection yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that it's it's you can share a story and not actually connect all those things surprisingly mm. yeah so uh, I'm, I'm sort of aware of the time and I could talk to you all day but I, there's a few <laughs> last points I want to get in uh, one of them is what what's next for you Are, have you got other ambitions not that you're obviously doing lots and lots of different things <laughs> no I know what you mean I know what you mean I've got no idea and oftentimes my ideas will kind of almost come out of nowhere like last year I ran a um, an online festival during lockdown if you'd asked me a month before that wouldn't have been on my radar at all and I wouldn't have you know wouldn't have meant and then and then all of a sudden I was like oh yeah no I, I think I'll do that and like two weeks later it's happening so sometimes it will be a bit like that 
I would love to write another book, but I need to have a chat with with my editor and things like that and see if there's anything they're, they're up for. But I think my, my real focus is going to be growing the, the Nakadons Eco Club because it does feel like it's it's really impactful and it's a lovely yeah. space place to spend time. And, um, you know, the, the, the kind of ripples that are coming out of that, the, the, the changes that not only the, the sort of amazing women in there are making, but then the things that, that they're then kind of going on and doing in their own communities or workplaces and things like that. It's so, um, yeah, I think that's that's going to be my I say that in a moment that's going to be my focus <laughs> the next meanwhile I love the fact that you are one of these people that just go oh that looks interesting off we go Let's <laughs> yeah. try that. it's a good and a bad thing I'm very I'm very good at starting stuff and sometimes not quite so good at finishing it well you, you're doing a great job I have to say oh, I, there was a, an episode not that long ago on your podcast where you had a few people from your eco club mm. on and that was you know that was quite that was like being in the room in a club isn't it you know it was just one of my favorite episodes because I think sometimes we feel like we have to be a certain type of person or we've got to set up a business or we've got to do so you know whereas actually like these are just ordinary I hope they don't they won't mind me saying ordinary um you know women like you and me and everyone else and juggling all these balls and spinning all these plates Mm. and and yet they're still you know and, and we're all having the same conversations with our partners and you know arguments with our kids and that kind of thing but we're still able to do some stuff yeah so you know again talking about that and being like you know you don't need to be Greta or David Attenborough or whatever like we we can muddle along and make some changes that like they and they honestly add up to make a difference yeah I think that's a really nice message so my two last questions 2050 that kind of seems to be a date that everybody focuses on how do you think sustainable living will look by then? Do you think there'll be everybody will be engaged by it then? What, what do you think it might or you hope? I, know. I swing between absolute despair and you know a cautious optimism. And I've just read a book actually because we did a whole transport theme last month by the the guys. I don't know if you've come across them who do. Uh, there's a YouTube fully charged YouTube channel yeah. about electric cars and renewables and stuff, and they've got a, a book out and and you know, I came away feeling quite optimistic having read that, you know, there was all these um, sort of different things and this feeling that it was a, a, you know, a wave that was really sort of growing quickly and that was, and and all these different ideas and all these amazing things that are happening. But then, you know, conversely, I'll, sometimes I just sort of look at the government and the way a lot of big businesses behave and I just think, oh, you know what, we're screwed. <laughs> But that, you know, I really try and sort of hang on to that um, optimistic bit. I mean, I think, I mean, 2050, I think the other thing that really puts it in perspective, isn't it? Thinking like, how old will my kids be in 2050? Mm. That's what, 30 years away, isn't it? I mean, my yeah. kids are going to be like late 30s, early 40s. Like, I can't even imagine that. And I can't even, you know, my, my son said to me, well, we'll be, we'll be driving around in hover cars. No, do you know, like, but I mean, the ideal is that, you know, we've got this, great public transport infrastructure that we've got car free cities that we've got you know a really great electric car charging infrastructure that we've got a fossil free grid and homes and you know that eating um you know we're all eating much more plant-based that we've got so much more regenerative agriculture all these kinds of things and all this stuff is entirely possible and is in probably entirely possible by much quicker than 2050 at the moment it feels like there isn't the political will but that's where we come in to create that pressure yeah you know and that doesn't mean that you have to be like you know regardless of what you think of extinction rebellion and stuff they are putting the pressure on and they are 
you know bringing it into the public consciousness and stuff but if you know that's not your bag and it's not it's not my bag and it's not you know it's out of a lot of people's comfort zone but that doesn't mean that you can't write a letter or you know um there are things that we can do to sort of put pressure on and to make our voices heard and and you know politicians follow votes politicians businesses follow money politicians follow votes we can we can use our money and our voices to to push for the change that we want to see yeah that's very hopeful isn't it and and helpful because it allows us all to be doing something useful yeah and i think you know we've got to well, there's, isn't there a great, there's a great quote by Greta Thunberg and it's something like, of course we need hope, but more than hope, we need action. But mm. you know, like the, the two almost are interlinked, aren't yeah. they? We, if we're hopeless, we won't act and we, we yeah. won't act if, you know, it's, it's that kind of, you know, the, more, the more we act, the more hopeful we can be, that kind of thing. And, and you've been doing this for uh, nearly a decade now. I know, that's scary. <laughs> I wonder, in that time is there some uh, or is there maybe more than one thing where you thought this has been my i'm most proud of doing this this feels most useful or just most enjoyable obviously one of the number of those things probably drive you to do the next thing what are those Mm. things that make you think yeah this is this is good oh there are lots of things i I'm, i'm so lucky like i love you know i loved writing the books i love seeing people sharing them and and commenting and saying you know, the, the, the most, from everything I do, the whole idea is that somebody takes an action as a result of it. It's all very well reading a book or listening to a podcast or coming to, you know, I, I've started doing quite a few sort of business talk, talks for corporates and things. Well, that's great, but if nothing changes, if nothing changes. So, you know, that's, that's I think, the best thing, getting those sort of messages. And, oh, I, I read your book and now I'm doing this. Or, oh, I listened to that episode and now I'm doing this. And, so the, the, the festival that I mentioned, I mean, that was brilliant last year, like absolutely exhausting, but it was this kind of week of, it was a really weird time because we were in that first lockdown and everything had stopped and I didn't really know if it was still appropriate to talk about green stuff and things, but actually this coming together of people and, and the sort of ripples that that created was just brilliant. And I, and I adore the Nothing Mums Eco Club because, you know, every day seeing and hearing about all these changes that people are making and and the support that everyone gives each other and stuff so yeah I mean yeah that kind of a bit of a pinch me like how lucky am I to have all these things that um you know do affirm what I'm doing that sounds really shallow doesn't it no 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 absolutely we all want to be working in a way that you think is useful to someone else mm, yes yeah yeah yeah. otherwise what's the point yeah <laughs> helps helps when you get up in the morning and you think this might be worthwhile doing yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's been fabulous talking to you jen and and hearing some of the ideas and the ways in which we can all do something and yeah. well i certainly feel quite upbeat <laughs> so i'm hoping, <laughs> hoping the other other people that listen to it will also feel up, upbeat too so thanks oh, for, thank you so much for having me you are more than welcome it was so lovely having jen on the podcast she absolutely embodies the potential individuals can do to make an environmental difference and provides a path to sustainable living that is truly accessible to all I love the ish. It means you can have a go at trying new things and not feel guilty if it isn't perfect. Jen's podcast and books are definitely worth looking at. You can pick up loads of tips on making changes towards a more sustainable life. Links to these can be found in the show notes. 
I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music, and you for listening. If you want to hear more stories of people doing great things that positively impact our environment, do click on subscribe, and then you'll get instant access to each new episode. I would also be most grateful if you could rate and share the podcast too. Until next time, bye for now.